Acts chapter 1 in your Bibles. I'll be working from the New American Standard, the NASB. We had already uh, studied the first three verses a few weeks ago together. So again, verses 4 through 8. We'll read it and we'll pray. It says in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And gathering them together, Jesus commanded his disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know. Times or epochs which a father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to be together once again this morning. We thank you for the way that you've been present with our community in our time of difficulty, in our shaking and our suffering. For many of us have lost much. We are, by faith, sensing your nearness to us, and your nearness is our good. Thank you that you are with us in the darkest places in the most difficult times. And thank you for the promises of Scripture on which we stand, by which we have faith. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for this promise before us that we can receive power to be your witnesses. We need that now, Lord. As a church, as a body of believers, as a people of God in the coastlands, we need power from on high to be faithful witnesses. So open our hearts and our minds and our eyes in your word today. Give us understanding. Teach us. And then fill us with your spirit, God, to be your faithful witnesses in these days. Please help me by your spirit now to teach and preach with humility, with gentleness, according to your truth, for your glory. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus here mentions something of paramount importance for us as Christians, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He juxtaposes it to water baptism. He says, John baptized you in water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that is, according to the words of Christ, our topic for today. So we want to understand from Scripture, what is it? What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit or spirit baptism? Or what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Why should we care about that? Do we have it? Do I have it? Have I been baptized in the Spirit? And if not, how do I get it? And then at the end of the sermon today, we will have a time where we allow for people to be prayed for, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're expecting God to fill us, perhaps for the first time or the subsequent filling or in a new, fresh, ultimate way. We're just going to allow space to seek what Jesus calls the promise of the Father here. Now, 
I do want to acknowledge that as it pertains to the Holy Spirit and the things of the Spirit, baptism with the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, so on and so forth, there is sometimes within the church some fear around these things. Fear because we don't quite understand them or oftentimes fear because we've seen abuses of them. We've seen perhaps people overemphasize them or create subcategories or suprastructures around Christianity, ins and outs about who has this thing of the Spirit and that manifestation, so on and so forth. And so sometimes we react to the abuses that we've seen as it pertains to the work of the Holy Spirit in the church and in the world. And then we form, uh, how do I want to say it? We form prejudiced doctrines out of our spaces of fear or the negative negative examples that we've seen. Now, I need to encourage us that as a people of God, that's not the way that we form doctrine. That's not the way that we learn doctrine. We don't learn doctrine because somebody blew it. We all blow it all the time. The church is a messy place. We learn doctrine from God's word and what God's word says. And then we allow God in his love to minister to our places of misunderstanding or fear or to meet us in our misgivings and enlighten us and give us understanding that we might walk in the truth and do so boldly and experience everything that God has for us. So today we're going to give this topic a careful doctrinal theological treatment. Okay, so we're going to kind of like <clears throat> get down into some theological nitty-gritty. So you have to like pay attention today, engage your hearts and your minds and listen because we want to form everything that we think, feel, and the way that we act as it pertains to the person of the Holy Spirit according to Scripture and not anything else. It's not about our experiences. It's about what God's Word says. So we need to give careful attention to what God's Word says because that's the kind of church and the kind of people that we are. We are a theological people, Okay. So we're going to do that. We'll start off by framing it this way. The greatest promise ever made to the world is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. Would never perish, but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. That's the greatest promise ever made to the world. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. But the greatest promise ever made to the church is Acts 1.8 that we find in our text where Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now I want us to look at these two promises of God, the greatest promise ever made to the world about the Son and the greatest promise made to the church about the work of the Holy Spirit. The first promise was made about Jesus. The second is made by Jesus about the Spirit. The first had to do with being made new, regeneration, being born again by what Christ did for us. The second has to do with being made effective, receiving unction or power to be witnesses of Christ, as it says in our text. And both are absolutely necessary for a faithful, full, fruitful Christian experience. The first promise is the means by which we become Christians, right? Through faith in Jesus. The second is the means by which we live faithful and fruitful Christian lives. The first is demonstrated by water baptism, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The second is evidenced by power, spirit baptism. The first is putting our faith in Jesus Christ, 
The second is being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, way back at the beginning of Luke's gospel, John the Baptist had said before Jesus came on the scene in Luke 3.16, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I. Who's he talking about? Jesus. And I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He was talking about Jesus and something that Jesus would do for his followers. And Jesus had explained later on to his disciples that there were a few ways that the Holy Spirit would work in their lives. There are a few ways that the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Look at the words of Jesus in John 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, right? The Holy Spirit. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. Notice what Jesus tells his followers about the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The Spirit is the helper who comes alongside and he will be with us and he will be in us. Okay, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us. He's with us to help us and guide us and lead us. And he will be, Jesus said, in us. And then in the closing chapters of Luke's gospel, Jesus said this to his disciples, Luke 24, 49. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Telegraphing there what we read in Acts chapter 1. The same, Jesus saying the same words there. So Jesus has now revealed to us in Scripture that for the Christian, the Holy Spirit is with us as the helper. The Holy Spirit is in us as the one who regenerates us. And Jesus said there, the Holy Spirit comes upon us for the purpose of us receiving power to live in this world as faithful witnesses. I want you to remember those three prepositions. They're not big words, but they're really important. The Holy Spirit for the Christian is meant to be with us, in us, and come upon us. And they are not the same thing. They're obviously connected, but they are not synonymous. Let's see how it works in the life of the disciples. After Christ's resurrection is when the disciples were converted. They had believed Jesus. They followed Jesus. Jesus had died on the cross and rose from the dead. But there was a moment after his resurrection where the Spirit came into them. They were huddled together in a room after the uh, cross of Christ. They hadn't yet seen him risen. They were there in fear. Christ appears to them in resurrected glory. And then we read this in John's gospel. Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The cross had happened. The resurrection had happened. They believed it. They followed Jesus. But at a certain point, Jesus comes and says to those first disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them. What happened at that point is that the Spirit was now in them. Remember, the Spirit is with us, in us, and comes upon us. Now for those first disciples, after the resurrection of Christ, the Spirit is now in them. So we would assume that this is the point where they are regenerated, where they're born again, where they're made brand new by the work of the Spirit 
in them. That hadn't happened yet because the time hadn't come. Remember what Jesus says in John 7. On the last, excuse me, and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. But after his resurrection now, the promise of the spirit is given and now the spirit is in the disciples. Now, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in us that causes us to be born again, made new, regenerated, delivered from the domain of darkness, transferred to the kingdom of the beloved Son. It is the work of God's Spirit in us that is received through faith in Christ by which we become Christians or children of God. One cannot be a Christian without the Spirit in them. Everyone who is a Christian has God's Spirit in them. In them, Romans chapter 8. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. There's that preposition again. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, it will be slightly redundant on purpose. It is God's Spirit given to us through faith in Jesus Christ to live in us, by which we become Christians, and which is a proof positive that we do belong to him, bears witness in us that we are the children of God. So every Christian has had the Spirit come alongside them, with them, and the Spirit is in them, guaranteed. But there is a second work and experience of the Holy Spirit for the Christian, or we might say a third even. Remember, the Spirit is with us and in us and will come upon. You guys are awesome. The Holy Spirit coming upon us is what Jesus is referring to when he talks about being baptized with the Spirit. It's where he says in Acts 1.8 again, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He was speaking to the disciples who had already had the Spirit in them from that John 20 text that we looked at after the resurrection. So, the second work of the Holy Spirit is the upon experience. I'm going to be redundant again because this is important. The inexperience has to do with salvation, regeneration, conversion. It makes us Christians. The upon experience has to do with power, enabling, filling. It makes us faithful and fruitful witnesses. Jesus said to the disciples who already had the Spirit in them, they were Christians, they were followers. He said to them that they would receive power, and be his witnesses. From the perspective of Christ, this upon experience was so important for his followers that he had said to his disciples, don't go anywhere until the Spirit has come upon you. You remember that he had commissioned them. He said, go into all the earth and make disciples. And then he says, but don't go anywhere until you've had the preposition, upon experience of the Spirit to receive power. So the issue for being baptized with the Spirit is the issue of witness, Christian witness. 
Now, we can think about that in very small terms, or we can think about that in broad terms. Here's how I want us to think about Christian witness and what Jesus is calling us to and enabling us for. And this becomes our paradigm for understanding the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, faithful Christian witness involves three things. Exalting Jesus, growing in holiness, and engaging in his mission of making disciples around the world. Exalting Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit in us is to cause us, to help us to think more of Jesus. Living holy lives. The work of the Holy Spirit in us, the empowering that comes, is that we might live more like Jesus. And then being on mission. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do more with Jesus. This is a paradigm for understanding who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. Helps us to think more of Jesus, live more like Jesus, and do more with Jesus. And shouldn't that be the church? Thinking more of Jesus, living more like Jesus, and doing more with Jesus. Holy Spirit had come into the disciples when Jesus breathed on them. Now Jesus tells them to wait. Now the Holy Spirit comes upon them in the book of Acts, and everything changes after that. In a couple weeks, we'll get to Acts chapter 2, but let's just sneak a little peek and read a few verses of the day of Pentecost when this upon experience happened for them. Just read the first few verses. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared on them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So we'll get to the details of that in a couple of weeks. But that is the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. Notice it's described as them being filled with the Spirit. And I want you to notice that everything changed for the disciples after that. As far as exalting Jesus, engaging in his mission, think about the person of Peter. Remember Peter, when we finished the book of Matthew, had denied Jesus three times. Now, Peter, once the Holy Spirit comes upon him, he goes from denying to preaching. He goes from fearful and cowering when people call him out about Jesus to bold and calling out his entire community as it pertains to Jesus. Let's look at a few verses of Peter's famous Pentecost sermon. As you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 36... Peter now is preaching in front of all of Jerusalem. And he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, speaking of Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God shall call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Look at the transformation in the person of Peter. He went from fearful, cowering, denying to bold, faithful proclaiming. 
there was a radical transformation that came to his life when he received the upon experience, the enabling, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And as wasn't just Peter, we see the same change in the rest of the disciples. And we see the church begin to engage in the proclamation of Jesus and the gospel going around the world. Now, as in everything, Jesus is our model for these things. Okay, Luke chapter 3 tells us that when Jesus began his ministry, he was baptized in water by John. And then the Father spoke from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We are also told in Luke 3.22 that then the Holy Spirit descended upon him. So modeled by the life of Christ, every Christian needs these two issues settled in his or her life for faithful, fruitful Christianity. Number one, to have our identity as beloved daughters and sons settled. This happens through the in-work of the Holy Spirit by which we are identified as God's own. Remember that Romans 8 passage? And number two, to be full of the Holy Spirit, the upon work. Jesus modeled the same thing for us. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. His identity settled as it is for us. We are sons and daughters of God. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon him and Jesus begins his ministry. We are told explicitly in Luke chapter four, verse one, that Jesus went forth full of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus models this work of God for us. And then we have to ask ourselves this question. If Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit for his life and ministry, how much more do we? If Jesus, God in the flesh, saw fit at his water baptism to receive the upon experience of the Holy Spirit, and he was described as being full of the Spirit, how much more should we seek that then? Having first our identity as a beloved of God settled, God's spirit in us, and then looking to live faithful, fruitful lives, God's spirit upon us. Now, here's where it gets sticky and a little bit tricky. Not every Christian has necessarily yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some may agree with my theological position on this, and that's totally cool. It's my pulpit, not yours. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Lighthearted joking. It's not my pulpit. It's God's pulpit. But this is the way that I see it in Scripture. Not every Christian has necessarily yet been baptized in or filled with the Spirit. Every Christian has a Spirit in them. But now we're talking about upon. There is a Holy Spirit converting us. He's, And then there is a Holy Spirit filling us where he comes upon. Every Christian has a spirit in them and with. Yes, we're just going to put with aside, but yes, in. Not every Christian has necessarily had the spirit come upon them yet, but every Christian is meant to. Every Christian is meant to have the spirit come upon them. So I'm arguing that sometimes the upon experience of the Holy Spirit, being baptized or filled with the spirit, is a second experience to our salvation. That's what I'm arguing. And and we argue that from the examples in the book of Acts. Okay, we already saw the day of Pentecost when the disciples had the Holy Spirit come upon them and the, the Holy Spirit had already been in them. So those were two separate things that happened at different times. 
Let's look at an example from Acts chapter 8. As you turn there, we're just going to take a little zip through some Acts passages. Acts chapter 8. For the Holy Spirit coming upon some believers at a later time. Acts 8, start in verse 14. Acts 8, 14 says, Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they, Peter and John, began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So there's a second example of someone receiving the Holy Spirit and power coming upon them at a later time after their salvation. They were already disciples. They already believed. They were already baptized in the name of Jesus. So they had the Spirit in them. But now Peter and John come and lay hands on them, and the Spirit comes upon them. You guys are awesome. Another example is from Acts chapter 9, and it's actually the example of Paul the Apostle. Acts 9, starting in verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, And inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Pause right there, a little bit of context. You remember that Paul, Paul, before he's Paul the Apostle, was Paul the Christian killer. He was on the road to Damascus. Jesus appears to him, says, why are you persecuting me? Strikes him blind. And so now we find Paul praying supposedly to Jesus, and then it says in verse 13, but Ananias answered, said, Lord, I've heard much about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. Talking about Paul's ministry. Verse 17, And Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus had what I would assume to be that conversion experience there with him for when we pick up the story, Paul's praying. But now this guy comes, lays his hands on him, and Paul receives power. And then the final example, or one of the final ones, is from Acts 19. Turn there. Acts 19. As we see the examples from Christians in Ephesus. Starting in verse 1. And it came about that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus and found some disciples. They're Christians. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Pause right there. Notice by Paul's statement that Paul the theologian believed that this could be a second experience at a different time. He says to them expressly, oh, you guys are Christians. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He's obviously not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Yes, I love this church. 
And they said to him, no, we've not even heard whether there's a Holy Spirit. So they're just ignorant. They just haven't learned this yet. And he said, well, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling telling people they should believe in him who was coming after him. That is Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's water baptism. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. It's the same preposition in Greek. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. So the testimony of the book of Acts is that sometimes people put their faith in Jesus, trust in what he did on the cross for them, and so they are born again, and so the Spirit is And then at another time, through different circumstances, they receive the promise of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Now, what what would have happened if Paul the Apostle, that example, uh, the Christians in Samaria, the Christians in Ephesus, what would have happened if if they hadn't had the Holy Spirit come upon them? Well, we're to learn that the Holy Spirit comes upon us for power for witness. And power for witness involves exalting Jesus, living more like Jesus, right? Growth and sanctification, and engaging in his mission. So they would have just lived, what I would argue is for many Christians, just a normal, boring Christian existence. Where they weren't really that excited about Jesus. There wasn't really much progress in sanctification. And there was almost no engagement in Christian mission. You cannot deny that that is an alarming percentage of Christianity. I'm not at this point even doubting that they're Christians necessarily. They put in the faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit is them. But there's no fire about exalting Jesus. There's no transformation, ongoing transformation, the process of sanctification looking more like Jesus. And there's really very little care about engagement in the mission of Jesus. I would say that that is non-spirit-filled living. Because Jesus said we receive power to be his witnesses, exalting, transformation, sanctification, and engaging in mission. Now, having said that, I know that's sharp. Having said that, and having shown how sometimes in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit coming upon people was a second experience, we also see in the book of Acts uh, the Spirit coming in and upon happening concurrently at the same time. And I actually think that that's normally what happens. Right? The book of Acts is 30 years long, and we just have a few examples of it happen, happening later on. But I think for most people, I don't know, I, don't, I, I can't base that on anything other than a hunch, but I think for a lot of people, they become Christians, and at that time, God in his sovereignty causes his spirit to come upon them as well. And there's evidence for that, right? They're exalting Christ in their hearts and minds and their lives. They're on fire for Jesus. There's a clear work of transformation, sanctification, growth and holiness happening. And those are the Christians that's re-engaging with Christ in his mission. The Spirit has obviously come upon them. Sometimes that happens at the same time. We'll see an example of that in Acts chapter 10. Turn there. Acts chapter 10. Verse 
See how it's nice to have a Bible when you come to church? Acts chapter 10. Man, big story here, background. Peter is up on this rooftop praying and he has a vision about some guy who wants to know Jesus and Peter gets sent to his house and we pick it up there. Acts 10, 44. Peter's telling him about Jesus and it says in Acts 10, 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So there we have a concurrent happening. They heard about Jesus. They believed in Jesus. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. They have power to be witnesses of Jesus. His whole household is converted. And by the way, we should be baptized in water to show that we are followers of Jesus. And I think that this is probably normative. Think of a lot of us. Some of us can look back and say, oh yeah, this was the time when I had that second experience. And some of us say, I, I don't... I." I don't remember a time where I had a second experience, but I've received or I experienced God's power in my life in those ways that we're talking about. So maybe it happened at the same time. How do we know? Well, listen to a testimony from someone in our church. Okay, this is someone in our church. He wrote these words. I'll read them to you. I grew up in the church all my life, but was saved around 19 or 20 years old. I know I was because my heart came alive for the first time to those things I heard all my life when a friend led me through a month-long Bible study of Philemon. Not funny to you? Philemon is like the shortest book in the Bible. Whoever this dude was that was evangelizing this guy was so hardcore to study Philemon for a month. Anyway, that's lost on you. But He continues. So I would say that my desires and allegiances changed at this point. But for the next six years, I would never quite experience the passionate Christianity some of my friends had. I often backslid, repented, and then backslid again, never fully grabbing hold of my new identity and was still overly concerned with the things of the world. I genuinely loved the Lord and wanted to follow him, but I also felt like what Paul describes in Romans 7. For I do not do the good I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. I never read my Bible. I never prayed. I was more concerned with my life than God's mission. And I constantly struggle with sin. Then, in my first year at Reality Carpinteria, a group of guys laid hands on me and anointed my head with oil and prayed for the Spirit to come upon me. I can only describe what I felt like as being engulfed by the love of the Father. I broke down in tears. That was several years ago. From that point on, my life has never been the same. Here are some noticeable and immediate differences, he says. He says, I increased in holiness. Sins I had been mastered by my whole life, even as a Christian, were broken immediately. He says, I experienced boldness and witness that I didn't know was possible. After that baptism in the Spirit, I took a close college friend I used to party with to free birds and testified of what Jesus did on my life, shared the gospel with him, and gave him a Bible study. This was the first time I have ever shared the gospel in six years of being a Christian, but I couldn't stop talking about Jesus. It lasted for two hours. (laughs) Thirdly, he says, 
I really wanted to know God. I never read the Bible as a Christian before, but after being baptized in the Holy Spirit, I had an insatiable desire for the word of God. I read it all the way through the first time that year, and I've read the Bible through seven times since then. This is Pastor Chris Lazo from Reality Santa Barbara. That's whose testimony this is. There was a radical transformation that happened after the Spirit came upon him, consistent with what we see in the Bible from the book of Acts. We're not telling you anything that we don't see in Scripture. So when we then, like those in the book of Acts, like Pastor Chris Lazo, are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are enabled and empowered to be faithful witnesses to Jesus, exalting him, growing in holiness, engaging in mission. So because that's our paradigm for thinking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit and baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's easy for us to say this. We often look at things going on that are claimed to be about the Holy Spirit in different churches, different places, so on and so forth, and we try to evaluate them. And sometimes that's messy and that's difficult. And we want to be careful not to judge people and say that their experiences are invalid or whatever. We want to weigh everything against Scripture, but we can definitely, when we bring all experiences against Scripture, say this. This will always be the case. Wherever there is the most activity of the Holy Spirit, Jesus will be being most glorified. Wherever the Holy Spirit is rocking, the name of Jesus is being exalted. The evidence will always be more Jesus. Even Jesus said, the spirit comes in the world to testify of me. He will teach you about me. The work of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Jesus. So when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, there's more Jesus exalting. There's more pursuing and trying to look like him with the help of the spirit. And there's more doing things with him, proclaiming his name in our community and to the nations. So that's the litmus test. Like, Is that the Spirit? Is the Spirit working there? Is the Spirit working in my life? How would I know? Well, Jesus is getting bigger. It is possible to have a large degree of the Spirit working in your life. After all, He's still in you and He is with you, but come short of the fullness of His enabling and empowering us. This was the experience of D.L. Moody, right? The end of the 1800s, D.L. Moody, that great American evangelist, one of the greatest evangelists and pastors and Christian leaders in the last several hundred years. He had this later upon experience. I want to read to you a short testimony about it, or not testimony, account of it. D.L. Moody's baptism with the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus' ability to empower people for greater service. The year 1871 saw D.L. Moody apparently a great success as an evangelist. His tabernacle drew the largest congregations in Chicago. But according to Moody's own estimate of those years, he was a great hustler and his work was being done largely in the energy of the flesh. Two humble free Methodist women named Auntie Cook and Mrs. Snow. It's true. This is a true story used to attend these meetings and sit in the front row. Moody could not help seeing that they were praying during most of his services. Finally, he spoke to the woman about it. Are you praying? Yes, they admitted. We've been praying for you. Why me? Why not pray for the unsaved? The evangelist retorted, a bit nettled. 
Don't know what nettled means, but I can imagine. <laughs> Auntie Cook and Mrs. Snow said to him, because you need the power of the Holy Spirit. After some weeks of this, Moody invited the women to his office to talk about it. He said to them, you spoke of power for service that results from the baptism of the Spirit. I thought I had it. I wish you would tell me what you're talking about. So Mrs. Snow and Auntie Cook told Moody what they knew about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is the Spirit coming upon a person to empower him or her for greater service. Greater service. Then the three Christians prayed together and the women left. From that hour, there came a great hunger to my soul, Moody was to say later. I really felt that I did not want to live if I could not have this power for service. One late autumn day in 1871, D.L. Moody was in New York, walking up Wall Street. Suddenly, in the midst of the bustling crowds, his prayer was answered. The power of God fell on him so overwhelmingly that he knew he must get off the street. Spotting a house, he recognized Moody, knocked on the door, and asked if he might have a room by himself for a few hours. Alone there, such joy came upon him that, quote, at last he had to ask God to withhold his hand lest he die on the spot from very joy. (laughs) Like, God, I'm too happy. Leave me alone. (laughs) From that hour, Moody's ministry was never the same. He went on to England for what was to be the first of many evangelical campaigns there. People thronged to North London to hear him. Moody summarized, the sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. The evangelist went on to live another 28 years and to reduce the population of hell by a million souls. So I think it's evidential in Scripture that this is a thing (laughs) and that we, we need it. We ought to long for it. What are some of the barriers to spirit baptism. Well, first of all, just sometimes it's just God's sovereign timing. I, I don't know why in Acts chapter 8, the Christians in Samaria didn't receive the Holy Spirit until Peter and John went up there. I don't know why it happened that way for Paul. I don't know why it happened that way in Acts 19 for Ephesus. And yet in Acts chapter 10 in Cornelius' household, the Spirit fell upon them right as they believed. I don't know. Sometimes it's just God's sovereign timing. There's mystery in that. God is God. Sometimes it's lack of understanding. Right? We saw that in one of the accounts that we read. Peter's like, what, what about the baptism of the Holy He's like, they're like, there's a Holy Spirit? What? A Holy who? They just didn't know about this. Sometimes our lives are marked by grieving and quenching the Spirit through rebellion. Sometimes we're just grieving and quenching the Spirit on a continual basis through our own rebellion. So there's a different issue at hand there that God wants to work in us. Sometimes... It's a lack of deep conviction of need. Or even just a basic, like, like apathy that doesn't sense a desperate need for God because we're not really doing anything. We're not really exalting him in any real way. We're not really pursuing holiness in any real way. We're not really engaged in mission in any real way. So we don't sense that there's a need for those things. And sometimes, perhaps, it's wrong motives. You know, people get weird about the Holy Spirit sometimes and, They want to be filled with the Holy Spirit for some experience or some gift that might make them look awesome. Sometimes there's wrong motives. I mean, Jesus said, ask and you will receive. But James said, sometimes you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. So what should we do then? Well, we should, as Christians, acknowledge our need before God. 
Jesus said, don't do anything until you receive power from on high. This is a promise of the Father. So we should humbly say, gosh, I need power from God to live a faithful, fruitful Christian life. Acknowledge our need before God. We should be willing to surrender our will to God's. We don't really need the power of the Holy Spirit if we just insist on always living our own way for our own glory. Be willing to forsake the sin that holds us back then from pursuing God's will. And then ask in trusting faith. Look what Jesus said in Luke 11. I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. You're not going to give him a snake instead of a fish, are you? Or if he's asked for an egg, he's not going to give him a scorpion, will he? If then, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So in just a couple minutes, we're going to ask. All of us that desire this, according to Scripture, are going to ask to be filled with the Spirit. What might happen at that point? How will I know if I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, the first way that we'll know that is simply by faith. By faith in what God has promised. That's the way that all of Christian life works. We have the promises in God's Word, and we believe them by faith. So if we ask God for that today, we'll just believe by faith that he responds. It's the gift of God. Secondly, there might be possibly some signs, some outward manifestations of the Spirit coming upon people. Right at Pentecost, they all spoke in tongues. We'll study that in a few weeks in depth. For Paul and for Pastor Chris Lazo, there was like this immediate change where they were engaged in Christian mission. In Acts 19, for the believers in Ephesus, there was tongues and prophesying, it said, when the Spirit came upon them. For the believers in Samaria, or excuse me, for the household of Cornelius, there was prophesying tongues and worship when the Holy Spirit came upon them. But for the believers in Samaria in Acts chapter 8, there were no signs accompanying. So sometimes the Holy Spirit and Acts came upon people and they prophesied and spoke in tongues and worshiped. Sometimes there was no outward sign. For me, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I was at a pastor's conference. Some guys laid hands on me. There was no sign whatsoever. I didn't speak in tongues. I didn't prophesy. None of that. But my life did change. I did become engaged in Christian mission there was a sense in which Jesus was more important to me and I wanted to exalt him in my heart, mind, and my life. And there was growth and sanctification. But there was no like, you know, outward supernatural speaking in tongues sort of thing. For Moody and for Charles Finney and for John Wesley, they all described this intense feeling of joy when the Spirit came upon them. So, When we pray to be baptized in the Spirit today, we shouldn't expect any certain thing. We just receive it by faith and let God do what he does. And don't like be weird about it and try to fake anything or force anything or don't think if you don't feel anything that you didn't receive it. All these things are by faith. But there should be some future 
faithful and fruitful living. Here's an awesome and extreme example from Charles Finney. He says, I was powerfully converted on the morning of the month of, in the, of the month of October in 1822. In the evening of the same day, I received overwhelming baptisms of the Holy Ghost that went through me, as it seemed to me, body and soul. I immediately found myself endued with such power from on high that a few words dropped here and there to individuals were the means of their immediate conversion. That's awesome. He got saved in the morning. That evening, he got juiced. And the next day, he's just cruising around like, you should get saved, dude. And people are like, ah, getting saved. That'd be sick. That happened to like a bunch of us in the church? That kind of juice? Why not? Say a couple more things before we pray. First of all, baptism with the Holy Spirit is not optional. We are joyfully commanded to seek spirit baptism. Jesus said, don't do anything until the Spirit comes upon you. Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, we are to be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And there are subsequent fillings, right? We are filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized the first time. And then after that, there are subsequent fillings. The number one most frequent prayer uttered in my life is God, please forgive me. The second most frequent uttered prayer in my life is God, please fill me with your spirit right now for what I have to do. And we see that testimony in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, Peter goes to preach again. And it says, and Peter, having just been filled with the Spirit. So he was already filled, baptized in Acts 2. And then there's a subsequent, another filling that happens later on as needs arise. And then we read this about the church in Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. I want God to do that in our church. Not for our glory, not so we could just say, oh, look, this is awesome, but that we would speak the name of Jesus with boldness. That is the great need in our community and in our world. What if today the building shook and we were all filled with the Holy Spirit and we all went out like Charles Finney just dropping crazy nugs and people were like, ah, getting saved everywhere. Please remember that baptism with the Holy Spirit is not a reward. It is a gracious gift to the Father. As Jesus said in Luke 24, is the promise of the Father. It is not a reward. It is a free gift by grace. It doesn't mean we shouldn't examine our motives and sin in our lives. But the last thing I'll say is baptism with the Holy Spirit is for you, every one of you. It is not exclusive. It is not hierarchical or a a means of super spirituality. Sometimes that's the abuse that we see in the church. People are like, oh, She's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not. We got it. You ain't got it. We got it because we know that we spoke in tongues. Well, sometimes in the book of Acts, people were filled with the Holy Spirit and they didn't speak in tongues. There's not biblically speaking necessarily an accompanying sign. And it is not meant to make you better then. It's actually the person who realizes they are most desperately in need of God's power and work in their lives. It's no sign of being better than it's simply receiving as children God's gracious gift to us by faith. So, um, here's how we'll do it. You know, band's going to come up in a minute, and they'll, like, play kind of a little broken down set, a little more mellow, so we can, like, hear each other and stuff like that. Prayer team will be up here, and then I've also asked the elders of the church to come up front, along with a few staff members. They'll be in the front of the church. And if you feel like, gosh, I, 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 
I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then come forward and let them pray for you. They'll lay hands on you because that's what we see in Scripture. They don't necessarily have to do that. You know, there's other ways that it happens. Acts chapter 10, no one laid hands on them, just happened. But they'll lay hands on you and they'll pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit with faith. And you'll receive it by faith. Maybe some of you will prophesy. Maybe you'll speak in tongues. Maybe nothing. Maybe you'll feel so much joy. You'll say, stop, God. (laughs) But just by faith, because we need to grow in power to be witnesses. We'll receive it. Now, if it's not your gig to come up front, just have someone near you pray for you, right? Just say, dude, lay your hands on me. Pray that I be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you don't know if you've ever been filled with the Spirit and you're like, I don't know. And sometimes you don't know if you were baptized in the Spirit, but now you need another filling and we'll teach more on that in the coming weeks. Sometimes you don't know, but your heavenly Father knows. He knows. Just say, God, I just need more of what you have for me. Nothing more, nothing less. God, everything that you have for me, I want to receive that. And you know, there could be some fear around this thing. Listen, your heavenly father knows you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. He only ever gives you good gifts. And he wants to give us good gifts today. The only thing that thwarts this is our own apathy or unwillingness. I just want to be a church that's like, when we're confronted with the word of God, we're willing to go for it. So go a little further than you would normally go. Maybe you're like, I never get out of my chair and go forward and pray. Go forward and pray. Let people pray for you. What's, why, how is that weird? When did that ever become like, like this is a freaking church. <laughs> we should like pray at church. We should pray at church and we should pray for each other. Maybe like you come up and you pray sometimes, but you never just like, just get on your face before God. Just go for it. We are in desperate need of more of God and we can trust God. So everyone's going to be praying everywhere, laying hands on each other, praying, coming up, praying. Lord, thank you, God, for what you want to do today. We believe you by faith that you want a church that is full of your Holy Spirit for the glory of Christ, and we want to be those people. Lord, help us where we have a lack of understanding. Thank you that your work is not dependent upon our theological understanding. We can never fully understand you anyway. We just ask the Holy Spirit you would come and you would work in the church so that Jesus would be more exalted, so that we might grow in holiness, so that your name would be proclaimed, Jesus. So prayer team comes up and elders and staff come up, fill them with faith right now to pray for people. And then for my beloved family in the seats right now, give them faith. Give us faith to believe you. We want to want you. We're ashamed of our lack of desire. Help us to want you more, Lord. Help us to press into what you have for us. Help us somehow to catch a vision for living for your glory. Come and work in our midst by filling us with the Spirit. Do what you want to do for your own namesake, Lord.